Hello, and welcome to the First Baptist Hanford podcast. Our primary mission at FBH is to love God, love people, and serve the world. We hope that this weekly podcast will encourage you in your daily walk with Christ as we play for you our most recent sermon audio. Let's have a listen. I'm Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH. We are excited that you're here. We're excited that, man, we we got to celebrate uh, baptisms this morning. That is hands down the favorite, my favorite part of my entire job is being able to do things like that. Um, And so the fact that we had a student, a family with a young kid, an adult by himself all come to faith, man, so, so exciting. And if, if you are somebody, I'm just going to do a quick plug. If you're somebody who's like, ah, I don't know, I don't know if baptism is my thing or, or whatever. Um, if you are a follower of Christ, Christ commands us to do that. And so we have another opportunity that we're going to have in November. So if you're some, one of those people who's kind of towing the line, I don't know if that's me or not, November is your chance. So be listening for announcements for that as we, uh, as we kind of launch, launch in. The other thing I want to call your attention to real quick is, is you still have time. If you have not yet jumped into a small group, you still have time to do so. Most of them are launching not this week, but next, uh, next week. And one of the reasons that we think it's a great opportunity for you to be able to jump into a small group uh, is because a lot of our small groups are, are we're calling them sermon-based small groups, meaning uh, what we talk about on Sunday, we're also developing questions around those, uh, uh, what we talked about, and will allow you to go deeper into the conversation that we had this morning. Um, and so those are sent out to the, uh, the small group leaders and all that stuff, um, but still have opportunity to do that. You can go to fbhanford.org. Um, and there's a, a spot for you to find a small group on there. Um, but that being said, we've done a whole lot of like vision and direction for our church. We did an Oikos series. We did some topical stuff. I am so excited to be able to settle in to a gospel for the next 12 weeks. Um, and so we're, we're going to be taking a hard look, as you can probably guess, at the, at the gospel of John. Um, and, and the Gospel of John, it's one of those books that, that a lot of time preachers and pastors, uh, they like to encourage new believers to read. Like if a new believer is like, oh, uh, man, I don't know even where to start in the Bible. A lot of times pastors or seasoned Christians, for whatever reason, will just say, oh, start in the book of John. It tells the story of Jesus from the beginning all the way to the end, um, which is true. But the Gospel of John is actually an incredibly theologically dense book. Um, it, 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 ha- it deals with themes. It deals with different things that can be really difficult for us to be able to track with, even uh, for, especially for new believers to be able to, uh, to track with. So today and for the next 11 weeks, we're going to dig hard really into a gospel that will be incredibly clear about who Jesus is, and what that means for our lives moving forward. That's really what we're going to be digging into. And the Gospel of John, for those of you who have, uh, have never, never read it, like I said, uh, it's a dense book. And it's different from the other three Gospels. And we're going to get to that in a sec. But I want to give you some, some basic facts about the Gospel of John. So first one here, the authorship of John, as you can probably guess, is the Apostle John. 
Okay? Sometimes there's some confusion over this about which John. That seems to be a pretty popular name in Scripture. This is the Apostle John. And so when you're reading through it, as we read through it, and it, it alludes to uh, the, the one whom Jesus loved, he's talking about himself in that sense. Okay, So this is the Apostle John who wrote this. Uh, the date of this writing is somewhere between the 80s and the 90s. Not like the 1980s, 1990s, the actual 80s and 90s, okay, all the way back. Um, this is going to be the latest gospel that was ever written. So this is the last of the four gospels written. Uh, many people think John was in his 80s when he wrote this entire, uh, uh, this gospel account, which is pretty interesting to think because there are quite a few people who think that John, when Jesus is walking around in the earth, probably was a late teenager or in his early 20s. Okay, so even think about the span of your life. Um, for those of you who are maybe more advanced in age, I think that's the nice way to say that, advanced in age. Um, think back to something that happened for you uh, when you were in your late teens, early 20s, and then trying to dictate that back to people. Some of those things would have been more transformative than others. And so John, to be able to think back 50, 60, 70 years, depending on when he wrote it and how old he was when Jesus actually walked the earth, this would have been something that was incredibly transformative in his life. Uh, the next thing I want you to know is his audience. His audience is going to be unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Jews, which is interesting because a lot of times when we're reading through scripture, we see it through our lens, Right? We just assume that scripture was written to us. And so a lot of times what happens is we end up making the Bible kind of about us, when in reality, the Bible's not about us. The Bible's about God. And so we look at it through our lens, and we never even think, okay, well, what's the historical context here? Who is this letter being written to? And how do I need to kind of factor that whole thing in? Well, one of the things that we have to remember that is kind of shocking because, as most of you know, we have two types of people in this world. There are Jews and there are Gentiles, at least according to Scripture. Jews and there are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Welcome. You didn't even know you were one, and you are. Congratulations. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. Well, what happened was, in the early church, it was incredibly easy for Gentiles to recognize who Jesus was and begin to follow them, or begin to follow him, rather. It was a lot more difficult for people who were in the Jewish faith to be able to switch their belief system to Jesus. And so your point here is it wasn't the Gentiles who were having a hard time believing, it was the Jews. Think of it, uh, think of it this way, okay? Um, let's pretend like you grew up and uh, you grew up in LA, okay? And in LA, you thought for the, you know, the last 30 years or so that the next team in the NL West to win a World Series was going to be the Dodgers, okay? <laughs> Think about that. Just let that really soak in, especially for those of you who root for LA. So you thought for an incredibly long time, you know what? That's the team. It's LA. They got the money. They got the star power. They got all those things that they need to have going for them. Man, they're the Yankees of the West. Let's go, right? And so you're thinking all of these things. And then something crazy happened. 2010 came around. And in 2010, what happened was there's this other team. It's a smaller market team, you know, uh, from uh, what a lot of people call the city, otherwise known as San Francisco. And out of nowhere, this young phenom named Buster Posey shows up on the scene. 
And Buster Posey puts this team on his back and he marches this team straight to the World Series. And lo and behold, regardless of your belief system of the Dodgers being next team to win the World Series from the NOS, it didn't happen. The Giants did. So I know where the Giants fans are sitting. Dodgers fans, there's some grumbling going on. It's okay. Maybe one day, Dodgers fans. I don't know. I don't know. I can't know. But... <laughs> Regardless of all of that, take that to an extreme example, right? We have people who for a long time assumed that, that Jesus was going to come in a very specific way. The savior of the world was gonna come in a very specific way. And so if you're Jewish, you have dedicated the majority of your life to doing the things that the Old Testament said that you are supposed to do, to being ceremonial clean, to wait, ceremonially clean, to waiting for the Messiah of the world to show up. And you have a very distinct picture in your head as to how he is going to show up. And so for Jews at the time, they assumed that the Savior of the world was going to come in fiery sword and just overthrow the entire establishment, the government establishment, overthrow them. Jews were gonna take over, it's gonna be the reigning power forever. And what ends up happening is the Jewish people at the time write off Jesus because of the fact that he was born in a barn and came simply to die. And so that is a hard reality for the Jewish people to grasp because in their head, there was something very distinctly that was supposed to happen when Jesus showed up on the scene. However, that's not the way that it went down. And so it was very difficult for them to be able to change their point of view, to change their entire belief system, to make this Jesus character fit. And so it was a whole lot simpler for Gentiles, people who really kind of, for the most part, either didn't have faith, had little faith, or just kind of hopped around and glommed on to whatever it is they thought was a good idea at the time. And so Gentiles really didn't have to break a belief system in order to follow Christ. They simply saw Christ, they recognized his power and began to follow him. And so when we look at the gospel of John, and we recognize that, man, there's this apostle who walked with him. He's a Jewish guy. There's, you know, uh, Christianity is beginning to spread like wildfire. But regardless of all of that, he is focusing back on Jews who are non-believers. And so as we're reading this, we need to recognize why, man, John puts a ton of emphasis on the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is God. And the reason he does that is to make those non-believing Jews understand that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for for thousands of years. And so that's really what we need to be looking through in this because really God initially chose one man, right? Initially God chose one man, Abraham. And through Abraham, he would grow the nation of Israel and that's Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Israel was meant to be a light for the nations, that, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth is what God says in, in, uh, in the book of Isaiah. And from that nation, from the nation of Israel, would come another, would come a Messiah who would fulfill all of what was written and hoped for in the Old Testament, thereby bringing the blessing of Abraham to all of the nations. 
And so that's largely what the Jews were kind of hanging their hat on. They were waiting for that. That's what they were waiting for. This other person, this next coming, this second Abraham to come and deliver their nation, right? And so this nation was completely and totally set apart. They were God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And then with unbroken continuity, the New Testament picks up right where it left off. That the foretold Messiah, he enters in to history, And God's promise and his plan of salvation are fulfilled in the person of Christ. That God sent his son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And so that's largely what is happening here. So the authorship here, while it might surprise us that not all the Jews immediately followed Jesus or immediately believed what was going on, the reality is it was much harder for those with a faith background to acclimate than it would have been for the Gentiles. We also need to note that John is different than the other gospels. John is different than the other gospels. And I alluded to this a little bit, but for for those who who read your Bibles uh, regularly, you know that we have four gospels. Even for those of you who don't read your Bible regularly, most of us can say, yep, there's four gospels. And those gospels are all an account of life, of death, and of resurrection of Jesus. Three of them specifically, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all incredibly close to being the same thing. They share the same stories. They share the same outlines. They share the same summaries. Even some of them are word for word with each other. Those gospels are things that we call synoptic gospels. Those are the synoptic gospels. And it makes sense. They have the same synopsis. Right? Those three gospels have the same synopsis, stories, outlines, similarities, all of those things. But we need to recognize that regardless of, of the similarities of those three, John is very distinct. It's much different from them. So a couple of interesting things to know as I was going through my study, there is only an 8% overlap in content between John and the synoptic gospels. Only 8%. And so you think, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay, I know John's a little bit different, but only 8%? carries over. So the stories of Jesus, the things that he taught, all of those things, there's only 8%. Yeah, only 8%, which is kind of crazy. Even in the the way that Jesus taught, what is written down in John is different than is written down in the synoptics. John writes about Jesus having these long conversations. There's lots of extended discourse and debate and that sort of thing. The synoptic gospels show Jesus teaching in parables, these short stories, oftentimes kind of short, pithy statements that people could remember, right? So John is different in that sense as well. So for us to lump John in with the other three, even though it does reflect kind of the same time period, it's very different in content, which means that we need to take a closer look at what it is actually presenting to us. Because even, even John Mainly, he was, he was focused on eternal life and salvation. He was focused on that. That was his main focus. While the synoptics largely teach about Jesus' teaching, he's focused on eternal life. He's focused on a resurrection. And the synoptics were focused more kind of on kingdom of God. And so what we need to recognize about John then is the main theme is eternal life. That main theme is eternal life. And we can see that from some of the most popular verses, not just in the book of John, but in all of scripture, right? John three sixteen. anybody watch a football game lately and looked in the end zone? 
Hey, John 3.16, those signs that are written there, man, if we had to summarize what the gospel was, oftentimes people point directly to John 3.16, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So that's one of them, an incredibly popular passage in scripture. But beyond that, John 5.24, not as familiar, but as I read it, you'll be like, oh yeah, I know that verse. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Now, while, while these verses are incredibly popular, these verses are incredibly important, I think there is something about them that we don't realize. These verses are actually answers to a problem. These are solutions here in 316 and 524. So in 316 says that without Jesus, the world would perish. Okay, that's a problem, that the world would perish. And God recognizes that as a problem, recognized that as a problem, so he sent his one and only son. That's the solution to a problem. But then also, even as you look at 524, it says that people would die a spiritual death without Jesus. Again, problem. And 524 talks about, man, with Christ, we no longer have that. These, these verses make us feel really good on this side of eternity, on this side of these solutions, on this side of, of these answers there. But these answers should tell us about the problem. And the problem is the same thing we talked about a few weeks ago when I talked through the idea of salvation. When I talk to the idea that man is uh, uh, consistently falls short of what God uh, deems as perfect, as a God deems as good and holy. We are broken creatures, even from the outset, we are broken creatures. And so not only does man consistently not meet up to God's standard of righteousness, but beyond that, we are not experiencing life the way God intended it to be. We are not experiencing life the way that God intended it to be. So 1 Peter 2.9, it tells us who it is that we are supposed to be. 1 Peter 2.9, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This verse, church, this verse tells us who we are. This verse isn't prescriptive. It's not who you're supposed to be. This verse is descriptive. It's saying this is who you are. If you have been chosen by God, you are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. And so Peter says that by actually describing the chosen people of God. He's really making a comparison here to Israel. Peter uses language that, that would have described that special relationship between God and Israel. And as Israel was, we believers, the, the church, are also a chosen race, if you will, of all different wonderful colors. We're a chosen race. Unlike Israel, though, we're not a race in the sense of our family. We're not a race in the sense of our ethnicity, our skin color, our country of origin, Nothing like that. Believe it or not, God doesn't speak just English. It's not who he is. He's bigger than borders. 
all the way across the world. It was one of the most wonderful things in the world for Sarah and I to be able to travel over to Kenya and recognize that, man, they are worshiping the same God in Kenya that we get an opportunity to worship over here. And man, that worship looks a whole lot different. And I couldn't be more excited to be a part of that. We are a royal priesthood, though. We are an entire group of people. We're a spiritual race in the sense that in Christ, we, sit, we share a single spiritual father. And in that same meaning, we are a holy nation. A specific group of people called out and set apart from all other nations. Christians together are a royal priesthood. In Israel, under the law, one tribe was given the task of serving as priests, given the task of performing the duties of mediators between God and the rest of the nation. And very few of that people group held that honor and held that responsibility of actually coming into God's presence. But in and through Christ, in and through the Savior of the world, the believers, all believers, us as a church, our, we are priests with direct access to God. We need no other human mediator. Christ took care of it. God has formed this nation, this race, this priesthood to take possession of us. We are his people in a very, very real way. And it's not just that, that we pledge our allegiance to him or anything like that, it's that he has taken ownership of us. We belong to him. And so because of that and our responsibility to live as a royal priesthood, our responsibility to that can then be found in Romans 12, one and two. Romans 12, one and two tells us, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So if 1 Peter 2.9 is who we are, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is what we are called to do. Okay, 1 Peter 2, 9 is descriptive. This is who you are. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is prescriptive. This is what you're supposed to do now. We recognize that because of God's mercy, the way that we should be living our lives, the way God intended it to be should uh, should, we, we should be regularly becoming more holy. Man, we've talked about the idea of sanctification and becoming more holy a lot over the past year. But it's our responsibility to become more like Christ by doing the very things that we ask you to do and we challenge you to do on a regular basis. If you were coming this morning hoping you were gonna hear something else other than what the Bible prescribes us to do, sorry, it's kind of not our thing. We kind of do what the Bible tells us that we are supposed to do. And so we think that really important things for you to do is to be able to be reading God's word on a regular basis. It's really hard to become uh, somebody who is willing to, to lay their bodies down as a living sacrifice without knowing how it is that we're supposed to lay our bodies down as a living sacrifice. 
How do we know that our offering to God is indeed holy and pleasing if we don't understand what it is that God deems holy and pleasing? And I know for a lot of us, it's like a puzzle. Like, how am I gonna figure that out? How does that work? Someone please tell me what that is. I can also tell you that one of the most important things to figure that out is to crack open that dusty Bible that you got on your shelf. It's because it's our responsibility as a royal priesthood and people who, who want our bodies to be a living sacrifice for God to be able to recognize what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And it's found in his word. So are you reading God's word? Are you praying every day outside of when your football team Fresno State, Fresno State, rest in peace from the game last night, uh, is losing in the fourth quarter, right? And you're praying real hard for that. But how else are you praying? Where are you getting quiet with God? Where are you taking an opportunity to sit in the stillness, to be quiet long enough to hear the whispers of the Holy Spirit to the Father? To sit there and just, just be and don't talk and just listen. And for some of us, that's a lot harder than others. <laughs> But where are you doing that? Where are you finding that time? How are you being intentional with that? Beyond that, who are you praying for? What do your prayers look like? What do our prayers look like? Are our prayers just prayers that we wanna be super selfish with all the time? We're like, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. If that's what your prayer life is, you are severely lacking in your prayer life. How are you lifting up other people? How are you going before the Lord for somebody else, for their sake? What is it that you're doing in that realm? Are you gathering with other believers to talk about eternal things? Are you doing that? Are we doing that? That's the whole point of why we do small groups so we can get together and actually talk about things that matter, not just how's the weather and how hot it is. We wanna gather together as believers so we can talk about things that matter in our lives that ultimately matter. Not how sweaty you got today because you were working outside or how tired you are or anything like that or how great your day is. Fantastic. All of those things are good things. Those aren't eternal things though. And so we need to find a space, you need to find a space where you can talk with people about eternal things. Are you serving in some capacity? I'm not asking you to serve here. We had a great weekend last weekend for those of you who, uh, who signed up to help us out. We had a great response last weekend. All of you should have heard from people who, uh, who they, that you signed up with in some way, shape or form, but serving goes outside the walls of the church and we need to recognize that that's not something that's lost on us. Okay, we need to be willing to serve our church, but beyond that, we need to be willing to serve our community. And beyond serving our community, we need to be willing to serve the world. Where are you serving, even in your workspace? Something as simple as standing up and man, you need a second cup of coffee because you were up real late last night. And so you get that second cup of coffee and on your way, you recognize your employees is low too or your, your, your coworkers is low too. Man, grab that cup for them and say, hey, can I fill you up? Simple things. How are you serving? How are you letting other people know? How are you humbling yourself in such a way that other people will recognize that you are a follower of Christ? And the last question would be then, are you representing Christ to those who are in your life? And I would say this question's really easy as long as you're doing the other things because it'd be really difficult to not represent Christ if you're in his word, if you're praying, if you're meeting with other believers, if you're serving in some way, you will represent Christ incredibly well if you're simply doing those things on a consistent basis. 
And so one of the things that I want to land on today is John's key verse. For all of it is John's key verse. It's in John 20, verses 30 to 31. And he says, he tells us, this is his verse. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John's super clear about why he wrote this book. He pulls no punches. He says, look, I wrote this because Jesus did a whole lot of things, and you need to recognize that he's the Savior of the world. Like, he just lays it out for him very plainly. And so the question for all of these things then, of course, is that that what does it mean for us? Well, responsibility as a royal priesthood is to have a spiritual act of worship as a living sacrifice to God. That's what we just understood from 1 Peter 2.9 and Romans 12.1 and 2. We are indeed a royal priesthood whose responsibility is a spiritual act of worship as a living sacrifice to God. And the beautiful thing is, is that we don't need to try harder. This isn't a bootstraps message. This is a recognition of the fact that the savior of the world decided to take up residence in every single person who would believe in his name, follow him regularly, and make sure other people knew knew the same. That's what this is about is recognizing that we have the savior of the world living inside of us who said, you know what? It is important enough for me. I love that messed up creation enough to come in, send my son, allow him to die and rise again simply so they can be reconciled to me forever. And church, it's time we start living like that. It's time we start living in such a way that we know that the creator, the savior of the world lives inside of us. Descriptively speaking, we are already a royal priesthood. You are already a royal priesthood. You have to do nothing outside of follow Christ to become a royal part of the royal priesthood. It's done. There's nothing you can do to become a greater priest. Jesus did it all for you. It's done and we have to continue to do it. It really is the idea of sanctification. And I may have shared this one time before, but the best best word picture I can give for the way that we work out our salvation is simply this, is you you guys all know I have a ton of kids and um, they, at the beginning of the summer, joined the swim team, okay? They were swimmers at the beginning of summer. And swimmers, I'll use real loosely in quotes. They were swimmers at the beginning of summer. But they had that title, right? They had their jammers on. They had their goggles on. Sometimes they wore a cap. They got super tan. It made me really happy because I was like, oh, those aren't my kids, right? And so not that that was ever in question. Um, But then every single day they went to swim practice, they became what? Better swimmers. 
And so in the same way, we as Christians, we as a royal priesthood, from the minute that we put our faith in Christ, we are a royal priesthood. And as we continue to acknowledge Christ, as we continue to do the things that Christ asked us to do, continue to pursue a relationship with Christ through reading, through prayer, through groups, through serving, through, through talking about him to other people, through all of those things, as we continue to do those things, we continue to be a royal priesthood. They go hand in hand. There's nothing more that you can possibly do to make Jesus love you anymore and gain your salvation. But there are things that we need to do to continue to make, uh, to, to continue our spiritual act of worship. And that's what we need to recognize here is that Christ has done it. It's over. It's paid for. But our responsibility in that is for our lives to be a living sacrifice for him and live in such a way that we believe that we're already part of a royal priesthood. That's our responsibility as a church. Our responsibility is to live as a royal priesthood. Our responsibility is to proclaim, proclaim Christ and live like the God of the entire universe has taken up residence inside of us because he has. The entire reason for this gospel is to proclaim Christ to a world who may not have known him. And the entire reason for us going through this gospel is to proclaim Christ to a world who may not know him. It's the same thing. And so while the audience here is mostly Jewish and hostile probably to the things of Christianity, we also recognize that, that the audience that we get an opportunity to encounter on a regular basis, some of whom may be hostile to the things of Christianity, we get an opportunity to dig into the word, dig into John's gospel and recognize what it is that we are supposed to do. Um, we're gonna move into a, uh, to a time of communion. And so for uh, our ushers who help serve or Dak and help serve, you can go ahead and, start moving. But on the first Sunday of every month, this is something that we do. And in light of John, the book of John, and the light of his gospel, something that we need to continue to recognize is, is really what was the point of John coming? What was the point of John writing his gospel? And the point of it is to be able to point people towards eternal life. And in the same way, the point of it is to point people towards eternal life. The point of us taking communion on a regular basis is to think about what Christ has already done on our behalf. Think about what he has done for us as, as a royal priesthood. And so the way that we do communion here, uh, it's our tradition, like I said, to do on the first Sunday of every month. And we'll have our ushers in a second come forward and um, they'll distribute the elements while, while, uh, while Kyle is playing and Bobby are playing. Um, and there'll be some words on the screen. You can sing if you want. You don't have to sing. Uh, we want you to take this opportunity to be able to really commune with Christ, to search your heart, search and, and, and just do your best to understand where you are at personally on a spiritual level. What things do you need to get out of the way? What sins that are just consistently creeping in that you need to confess before God and say, God, I'm sorry, I remember what you have done for me today, and I'm going to commit again today to following you. You don't have to be a member of our church in order to partake in communion. All we ask is that you would be part of that royal priesthood.
that you would have already said yes to Jesus. And so if, there, there, if you are in here and you're like, you know what, I've never heard this before, or maybe I've heard it a lot of times and I haven't wanted to say yes before, we're gonna pray and I'm going to invite you into the family of God. I'm gonna invite you in to be part of the royal priesthood. And if this is something you say yes to, that you wanna to commit to saying yes to Jesus, we are so excited to take communion with you for the first time today. So let's bow our heads as we prepare our hearts for communion. Father, I'm so thankful for your son. I'm so thankful for what he has already accomplished that we can't do anything else. We can't earn our favor to you. We never could. And God, you recognize that. And because you recognize that, you sent your son on our behalf so we could be with you forever. It's done. It's finished. You took care of it for us on this side of eternity. And so, Father, I would just pray right now for those in here who just have heavy hearts, who have burdens, who have sin issues that they're dealing with like we all do. God, I pray that they would just recognize that. I, I pray that we confess those things to you. That we could say, I'm sorry. And we could say, God, I love you. I'm thankful for you. But man, this is just hard right now. Life is hard right now. And God, I trust you, but it is just hard right now. So Father, take the burden from me. Take the sin burden from me. Take the anger from me. Take the anxiety from me. Take the stress from me. Take whatever. Fill in the blank. Father, I pray we would, re we would release those things. God, I also pray for those in here who haven't yet said yes to you and with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. If that's you, if that's you in here who has not said yes to Jesus, I pray you would pray along with us, the ABCs is what we call them, that you would just say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I recognize my shortcomings. I recognize that I go, go back to my sin all the time. And I admit that to you. But Father, I believe, I be, I believe that you sent your son on my behalf to go and die on a cross, be raised from the dead so I can be reconciled to you forever, so I can be with you forever. God, I believe that. And see, I choose to follow you every single day of my life, which is one of the hard things for us to be able to do. It's one of the hard things for all of us to do, not just new believers, Father, but people who have been a part of the royal priesthood for decades that we would choose you first and consistently every single day. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this week's sermon. Music was by the band Broke for Free. And if you would like more information about our church, feel free to check out fbhanford.org. That's fbhanford.org. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.